Well, good morning and welcome to Imperial Beach Church. Uh, my name is Kevin McPeak. I'm one of the pastors in our network. Uh, one of the functions that I serve is I am sort of the substitute teacher. So I am the substitute teacher for Luke today while he's off doing fun things. So I expect all of you to behave better than you did in high school when there was a substitute teacher. Some of you are like, oh, he knows about that? No, but Jesus does. So behave yourself. Um, we're in this series called Are You There, God? And we're looking at uh, the story of Esther. And we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about that. But I want to start our time together by telling a little, a little story um, that happened uh, just under 20 years ago. In fact, on, on November 7, 2003, a 67-year-old woman named Dorothy Fletcher got on a flight uh, transatlantic flight from Manchester, England, headed to Orlando, Florida. That's about a nine-hour flight, most of which is over water. And during the flight, she began to feel unwell. She started to have chest pain that started radiating down her arm. She felt nauseous. Those of you who know realize, oh, those are the signs of a heart attack. And in fact, uh, that's what she was experiencing. She was having a significant heart attack uh, in one of the worst possible places to have a heart attack, which is in the air, 35,000 feet over the ocean, hundreds if not thousands of miles from a hospital and all of the medical equipment and medical professionals you need. So Dorothy Fletcher, again, 67-year-old woman, she gets the attention of the flight attendant and she says, I, I think I might be having a heart attack. Flight attendant gets on the intercom and says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have a, a passenger experiencing significant medical distress. If there is a doctor uh, on board, if you could come to where the flight attendant uh, is, we would greatly appreciate that. And sh sure enough, a doctor gets up and moves there. And then another one. And then another one, and another one, another one. And that's just like DJ Khaled. Another one. We the best doctors. Those of you over the age of 40 did not get that joke. So all told, somebody younger can explain it to you later. Um, all told, 15 doctors make it to where Dorothy is sitting. And the, the, the first doctor gets there, and, and she says, I think I'm having a heart attack. And he says... Well, it's a good thing I'm here. I'm a cardiologist. Right? If, you don't, if you don't know, cardiologists specialize in you know, care for the heart. And the second doctor gets there and says, uh, I can back you up. I'm a cardiologist too. All 15 of them were cardiologists. How is this possible? Well, there's a cardiology conference happening in Orlando, Florida. They were all on the same flight, right? Here's the thing. They saved her life. It's an amazing story. You can, you can look it up. And, and you know what I, I love to think about with that story is obviously Dorothy, right? That's an incredible thing. But I like to think about the cardiologists because as they started their day and when they were getting on the plane, not one of them had any idea how important it was that they were going to be on that flight. None of them knew what was going to happen. And, and yet their presence was literally the difference between life and death for this woman. They happen to be the right people in the right place at the right time. Now, if you've, if you've been here for either or both of the first two weeks of, of this series, you've already heard summaries of the, the story of the book of Esther. Um, it's, it's a story from the Bible, I would argue, about the right person being in the right place at the right time. Now, some of you may be here for the first time today, or maybe you've been here for the last two weeks. You're just super forgetful, um, and, and you've maybe forgotten the story. And, and, and here's the thing. Um, if you're here for the first time, 
awesome. I'm so glad. And one of the values that we have as a church is we want to make sure that you are comfortable, even if it means that we are a little inconvenienced. So for those of you who are uh, people who have been here for the past two weeks, I'm going to modestly inconvenience you because I'm going to super quick recap the story of Esther. And, and some of you are going to go, oh, I already heard this last week. Yeah, I know. You'll be okay. All right? Just so you know, I'm not repeating the same sermon that Pastor Keith gave last week. It is a different sermon, but I have to recap a few details from the story. I'm going to go super quick. I'm actually going to skip some details because I'm just going to focus on what's relevant for our time today. So the beginning of the story of Esther, there's a Persian king. His name is Xerxes. He's a bad guy. He throws a 180-day party at the end of his 180-day drunken party. He calls for his queen, Vashti, to show her off in front of his friends. She doesn't come because she's sick of his foolishness. And so he has her banished. That, by the way, is the last time we hear about Vashti. That's the end of of Vashti. So then King Xerxes brings in, which, by the way, let me translate that to you in modern words. King Xerxes brings in, what that means is he abducted all of the young virgins in the, the nation, all of the beautiful women, so that he could choose one to be his new queen. Ultimately, he chooses Esther, okay? She's one of the two heroes of the story. She is a young Jewish orphan. She's been raised by her cousin, whose name is Mordecai. He's the second hero of our story. Um, Very important note. Esther keeps her identity as, as a Jewish person. She keeps that a secret from the king and everyone in the court. So meanwhile, all this stuff happens. There's a guy named Haman. The way I remember this for myself, I'm sure this is not going to be useful to you, but it's useful to me. Haman, I always pronounce it, hey man. So Haman, hey man, gets promoted over all of the other nobles, right? And he becomes the king's right-hand man. And because of that promotion, everybody is supposed to bow down and show respect to Haman, hey man, whenever they see him on the street, right? Which everybody does except Mordecai, one of our heroes, because he doesn't bow to people. He's a devout Jewish man. He will not bow to this guy. So this upsets Haman. Haman, who gets so mad at Mordecai that he says, oh, I've not only had it with this guy, I've had it with all of his people. He plots, I'm going to wipe out all of the Jewish people in the kingdom. He goes to the king, says, hey, he makes up a story, by the way. He makes up a story and tells the king, hey, there's this group of people. They're bad for you. They're bad for the kingdom. You should have them wiped out. The king, who's not really all that responsible and paying attention to things, goes, oh, okay. So he issues an order that in 11 months, all of the Jewish people are to be killed. And on top of that, this is very important, not only are they to be killed, they incentivize it. They say, oh, by the way, when you kill the Jewish people, you can take all their stuff. So, so now all of the other people in the kingdom have a reason. They're, they've not just been given permission to kill the Jewish people, they've actually been, been given an incentive to do so. So Mordecai, one of our two heroes, cousin of Esther, he's understandably very distressed by this order. And he goes to Esther, who's now the queen, and says, hey, you got to do something about this, right? You got to do something about this plan. And she replies, oh, <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, because uh, nobody's invited to go into the king's courts unless, uh, n- nobody can go in unless they're invited. And if you go in uninvited, they assume that you're a threat to the king and you will be killed unless, and this never happens, he extends his golden scepter to you. And by the way, he hasn't asked for me to show up in 30 days. So I don't think it's a good idea for me to be showing up in his court. And Mordecai replies with one of my favorite passages in scripture. This is actually where we're going to focus our time today. Mordecai basically says, "Um, 
don't think that just because you're the queen, you're going to be spared, which is a pretty bold thing to say. And then he doubles down and he says a verse we've already mentioned earlier in the series, Esther 4, 14. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I want to restate that last line because it's, I, w- I would say it's the most quoted passage from the book of Esther and it's probably one of the more commonly cited passages from the Old Testament outside of the book of Psalms. Um, if, you, if you're not familiar with the scripture, by the way, the Old Testament is simply the, the portion of the Bible that was written before Jesus was born. That last line, I want to say it one more time. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai is saying, maybe, maybe you are the right person in the right place at the right time. And this verse, Esther 4.14, it's a a verse I've reread to myself when I've been in a difficult spot and I've had to make a tough decision. And it's a verse I've quoted to other people when they have been in a tough spot and they need to think about what they need to do. Maybe, maybe the place and time you are in right now isn't just by happenstance. Maybe it's not an accident. Maybe there's a reason you are in the place you are right now. See, you know know what the story of Esther is not about? It's not about some random young woman who just happens to have been by luck and by happenstance chosen to be the queen. That's not what the story is about. The Esther story, the, the, the Esther of the story of Esther, let me try that again. The essence of the story of Esther, well, that was a tough one for me, is about God using imperfect, faltering, frightened people, just like you and me, to accomplish his plans on earth. And I would suggest that he does that all the time with people like you and people like me being the right person in the right place, at the right time. And so for you and I to accomplish the plans that God has in this world and that God has for you you and me, what we have to do is embrace some very specific truths from this story that are also true in our lives. The first truth that I want you to embrace is this. You already have what you need. What you need to accomplish God's purposes in this world and in your life, God's, God's given you what you need. Um, a couple of months ago, my wife and I went to Yosemite for the first time. It's unbelievable that I've lived this long and not gone to Yosemite before. If you haven't gone, strongly recommend. Unbelievable place. And one of, the, one of the first places we went was the Mariposa Grove of giant sequoias. If you've ever been there, it's the southern edge of Yosemite. Uh, and it's amazing. And so we're, we're walking around and we see some paths. And they have signs that say like, amazing tree, one and a half miles this way. And I was like, I like trees. She's like, I like trees. Together, we like trees. So we go and we walk a mile and a half. And some of it is like kind of, you know, it's really hiking. You're going up some, some hills and stuff like that. And you get there and there's this amazing sequoia. It's like 200 feet tall. It's like 1,500 years old. It's unbelievable. And then there's another sign that's like, more amazing trees, two miles that way. So you walk that way, right? And we keep going and we keep going. And I, I'm going to say probably whatever it was, six, seven, eight miles in, I was like, I like trees, but my feet are killing me because I was not wearing hiking boots. And let me tell you this, if you go to Yosemite and you hike 
six, seven, eight miles up and down hills to go see the sequoias, you might want to wear hiking boots because otherwise your feet are going to hurt. Why? Because I didn't have what I needed. I didn't have the stuff that I needed. I didn't have the right gear, so I wasn't ready for what was right in front of me. But when you and I walk with Jesus, we have what we need for what's in front of us. Look at what Ephesians 2 says. Ephesians 2 has this great passage that says, God has made us what we are, and in our union with Christ Jesus, he has created us for a life of good deeds, which he has already prepared for us to do. What that verse says is that God's designed you, each one of you, are designed by God, and he's created a life full of good work for you to do. And in fact, not only is it for you to do, you're perfectly designed for every one of those assignments, even if you are imperfect on your own. Despite my imperfection, despite your imperfection, we're perfectly designed to do what God's called us to do. In 1 Peter, there, there are two verses that give very specific instructions about ways that you and I can do the good work that God has prepared for us to do. It says this, use whatever gift you've received for the good of one another so you can show yourselves to be good stewards of God's grace in all its varieties. If you're called upon to talk, speak as though God put the words in your mouth. If you're called upon to serve others, serve as though you had the strength of God behind you. In these ways, God may be glorified in all you do through Jesus the anointed, to whom belongs glory and power now and forever. Amen. Now, that passage is from 1 Peter, and if you're not already familiar with Peter, he, he wrote that book of the Bible. He was one of Jesus' apostles, early followers, and he was really good, really good at getting things wrong. Peter was exceptional at that, but Jesus never gave up on him. In fact, uh, Jesus said that he would build his church on Peter, which is encouraging because Peter messed things up all the time and you and I are the church. The church is in a building. We are the church and we mess things up all the time. And in these verses, Peter's saying, hey, God's calling you to do something. Go for it. Just do it. God wants to use all that you are, everything you've experienced, good and bad, for the good of other people, for the good of his kingdom. Your experiences and your strengths are not the same as my experiences and my strengths, and they're different from everybody else's in the room, and that's on purpose. See, God combines all of our strengths together to create this remarkably effective and messy machine that fits together perfectly to get done what God wants done in the world. Take a look at how this, this idea is expressed in 1 Corinthians. It says this, God has meticulously put this body together. He's talking about us. He placed each part in the exact place to perform the exact function he wanted. So not only is your role important, God has intentionally put you right where you are so you can do it. Your function is important, whether it's your function in your family, your function on your job, your function at school. Your, your function in, in your friend group, your personality, whatever your personality is, introvert, extrovert, whatever, it's essential. What you bring every time you walk into a room, it's vital. God has designed you and positioned you and wants to use your exact details and your exact story for this exact moment in time. And the, the second truth that goes with this is this, you can't mess this up. 
Some of you may find that hard to believe, but you can't mess this up. In fact, this is, this is a critical point that so many people don't understand. They just shrink back from what God's called them to do because they're scared. In, in, the, in the book of Acts, if you're not familiar with Acts, it's the, the, the first book in the Bible after the Gospels, right? So we have the four Gospel accounts of Jesus' life, and Acts is the first book after that. And it starts with Jesus, after his resurrection, spending time with his apostles, and he, he does that, and then he ascends into heaven. That's Acts chapter one. Then the rest of the book of Acts is all about how the early church gets established and what God does and, and the Holy Spirit coming and being with, with the church and all that. It's really incredible. And in chapter three, so that's still fairly early in the book, um, Peter, who is the same Peter I referenced earlier, the guy who wrote the book of First Peter and also was an apostle who messed things up a lot, um, he goes to the temple in Jerusalem to speak to a crowd. Now, what wouldn't necessarily be immediately apparent to someone who's, who's reading this is going to the temple in Jerusalem when he did is a big deal. Why? Because so many people who would have been in the crowd at the temple would have been the same people that only probably about two months earlier had been calling for Jesus' crucifixion. Okay? So he's going into the heart's of the place where everyone had screamed, if you look at scripture, crucify him, crucify him about Jesus. So he's talking to people that he knows wanted Jesus dead. Now he actually knows Jesus has been resurrected, right? But these are the people who wanted Jesus to die. And Peter gets up in front of all of them and says this, listen, friends, that's such a great way to open his talk. Listen, friends. I know you didn't fully realize what you were doing when you rejected and betrayed Jesus. I know that you and your rulers as well were acting in ignorance. God was at work in all this, fulfilling what he had predicted through all the prophets, that the anointed one would suffer. So now you need to rethink everything and turn to God so your sins will be forgiven and a new day can dawn, days of refreshing times flowing from the Lord. Peter is saying, you didn't know what you were doing when you, you know, killed Jesus. You didn't know any better. And he says, God was still doing good things in the middle of all that. So if you turn to God, have your sins forgiven, it's all good. Think, think about what he's saying. He's saying, hey, you can be forgiven for killing Jesus, right? I've done a number of things in my life that were stupid, Long list. We don't have time to get into them all. But no matter how embarrassed and ashamed I am for any number of stupid things that I've done, I could always say to myself, well, at least I didn't kill Jesus, right? Like that seems like a big thing. That seems like really messing it up. It seems like the one thing you can't do. And Peter's going, even that, even that God was at work in that, you didn't mess it up and you can be forgiven. God can work in the most unlikely of situations and work all things together for good. Romans 8, 28, it's not in the outline, it's not on the screen. It's just a verse that means a lot to me. You can jot it down if you want to. Romans 8, 28 says that God works all things together for good of those who love him. God works all things together for the good of those who love him. So if that's true, if he's doing all that, if we can't mess things up, what's the downside? What's the catch, right? I mean, there has to be one. If, if, if we have everything we need and we can't mess it up, what's at risk? 
It's this, you could miss out. You could miss out on what God's doing. See, the reason that you and I miss out on being a part of what God is doing isn't because we lack the ability or the gifting to be a part of it, and it isn't necessarily because we mess things up. It's because we get scared. We let fear make our decisions for us. And then we sit on the sidelines when God is calling us to get in the game. I want to jump back to our original story. Okay, so Esther. Let's consider Esther's situation. She's been told she needs to talk to the, the king to try to save her people. And she has all that she needs because she's the queen. She's at least got an established relationship with the king. So, so it's not like just somebody walking in off the street. So there's, there's some resource there. And she can't mess this up because God is with her. And yet, and yet, she gives an excuse as to, I don't think I can step up here. I'm not feeling so brave. I don't know if I can save my people. She says this in Esther 4.11. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have been not called to come in to the king these 30 days. Right? Esther, she, she grew up with very few resources. Now she's got a lot of resources. But she's giving all of the reasons, all of the excuses to not step up. And all of them are basically like, I'm scared. If I walk in, I don't know if he's going to welcome me. Have, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like God was calling you to do something, but you were too scared to step up and do it? I have. Have, have you ever felt like you needed to step up somewhere or act in a certain way that God was calling you to act or do something or stand against something that you knew was wrong, but you were just like, I'm a little afraid to do that. I, I don't know if I want to pay the price for that one. Because sometimes what we do is we hear God calling us or he makes it clear, hey, there's this thing I need you to do. And we have this voice in our head that goes, yeah, but what if, what if, what if, right? The greatest tragedy isn't that you and I are going to fail. The greatest tragedy is that we're going to miss out on what God has for us. One of my favorite teachers of scripture is a, is a pastor named Dr. Tony Evans. And he said it this way, to miss your kingdom assignment because you've been too caught up in your personal kingdom itself is the greatest tragedy you could face. See, God's called you to do specific things. No one else can do or should do what God has called you to do. No one else can do or should do what God's called me to do. Each of us has a unique assignment. No matter how scary it might be sometimes, you and I have to do the thing that God is asking us to do. Now, jumping back to Esther. Esther is facing a decision with three possible outcomes. Two of them aren't good. Her first possible outcome is that she can do nothing, right? She doesn't go to see the king, and for sure, all of her people, and possibly her as well, will die. That's a bad outcome. The second possible outcome is that she goes to the king. And when she goes to the king, he doesn't welcome her. He doesn't extend the golden scepter. He assumes that she's out to get him, whatever his reason is. And she's put to death. 
Again, not a good outcome. So we have two bad outcomes. The third option, the third possible outcome, is that she goes to the king and he hears her out. And maybe, it's not for sure, maybe all of her people are saved in the process. And so we circle back one more time to Mordecai, her cousin, who had come to her and said, who knows, who knows if maybe you have become queen for just such a time as this. So what does Esther decide to do? Well, the next two verses tell us the answer. Esther says, tell Mordecai, in preparation for my audience with the king, do this. Gather together all the Jews in Susa. Susa is the capital city. That's where they all live. That's where the king is. That's where all of this, everything transpires in Susa in the story. And fast and pray for me. Intercede for me. Intercede means pray for me. For three days and nights, abstain from all food and drink. My maids and I will join you in this time. And after the three days, I will go into the king and plead my people's case, even though it means breaking the law. And if I die... I die. That's pretty brave. Esther says yes to the single most terrifying thing she's ever faced in her life. Now, it means there's a good chance she might die. But she's decided she's going to step forward because maybe, just maybe, she's the right person in the right place at the right time. Jesus faced a similar situation at the end of his life. He knew that by fulfilling his assignment in the world, he'd be put to death, right? But, but he stayed true to his assignment. He was put to death on the cross, resurrected three days later, and through that sacrificial death and resurrection, you and I can have hope of new life, eternal life. But he had to face that terrifying decision. And, and I want to point out one last thing from the, from the last scripture that we looked at. See, before Esther decided to be brave and step forward, what she decided to do was seek the prayer and support of other people. She didn't go alone. And some of us who are here today, we know there's something that God's asking me to do, right? But I'm, but I'm, a, little, I'm a little scared about it. Maybe you're afraid that something bad is gonna be the outcome. Maybe you're afraid that you're going to mess it up. Maybe you're afraid that you're not enough. Who knows? But what the story of Esther tells us is that if God is with you, you can't fail. Because, spoiler alert for the rest of the story, Esther does go to the king. And all of her people are saved. Simply because she agrees to be the right person in the right place at the right time. And for some of us, we've got situations in our families where we might be the right person in the right place at the right time to bring some healing where there's been some brokenness for a while. It might be on your job where you're being asked to do something you know is not right. And you are the only person who can stand up and be the right person in the right place at the right time and say, I can't do that, we can't do that. It could be in a friendship that you are the one who could build a bridge. You could be the peacemaker. And you're the one. God has put you in the position that you're in. And, and I'll tell you one thing I've learned about life. There's only three situations in life that you can be in. You are in the middle of a hard time right now. You've just come out of one. 
or you're heading into one sometime soon. That's the truth. And in any of those cases, God is going to call you to step up and to do something brave. Sometimes being brave is asking for help. Sometimes being the right person in the right place at the right time is admitting you don't have it all together. And why is it important for you to do that? A, so you can get better. And secondly, so somebody else can see you and go, wow, if they could do it, maybe I could do it too. And I'm going to invite the, the worship team to, to come back up because uh, in a moment they're going to lead us in one last worship song. But, but before we do that, I'm going to extend an invitation to you. Just like Esther sought the prayers of the people around her before she went to speak to the king, I want to give you a chance to be prayed for. And we're going to do that in a way that might be a little different from what you're used to. Okay, I'm, I'm going to ask some of you to step outside your comfort zone because the whole point of the story is that Esther, right place, right time, right person, she had to step up and get beyond her comfort zone. And so here's, here's the first thing I want, you, I want you to do. I want everybody stand up right where you are. We're going we're to do something that might be a little different from what you're used to. So be brave, stretch yourself a little bit. And here's this. If you need some prayer for something you know that God is calling you to do, something you're struggling with, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to come forward. Okay, we're not going to make a big thing out of it. We're not going to embarrass you or anything like that. I'm just going to invite you to come forward. And some members of the worship team and I and some members of the prayer team are going to be up here. If you're any of those volunteers that are here to pray with people, just, just come, on, come on up here right now. But if, if you need prayer for anything, I'm going to invite you to come forward so that we can pray with you and for you. And for those of you who don't come forward, that's fine. If you're in your seats, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to, to just pray for the people who come forward. You, you aren't even going to know what it is that they need prayer for. That's okay. God knows. And you can pray for them and you can pray that God speak to them in a powerful way so that we can be praying for people. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask anybody who wants to to come forward. But whether you come forward or whether you stay in your, in your seat, I want you to be bold and courageous as you step forward into whatever God is calling you to do. Because who knows? Perhaps the situation you're in right now, God has called you to it for a reason. Perhaps you are the right person and the right place at the right time.